At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. I know that there has been a lot of griping about the NFL overtime rules since the end of the Bills game against the Kansas City Chiefs last Sunday in the AFC Divisional Round. Tim Benz here. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to betrivers.com. And I don't know how you all made out over the weekend. I know how I made out over the weekend, and I am thrilled with the overtime rules because I had the Chiefs covering, I had the Chiefs winning, and I needed it to go exactly the way that it went. So no complaints for me, and usually I don't have many when it comes to NFL overtime. We'll get to that. But before we take a look at what's going to happen this weekend in the AFC and NFC Championship games, Just sort of a look back at what happened with Bills and Chiefs and a look through a Pittsburgh lens. We did a little with Mark Madden about that on Monday, but I wanted to go more in depth here today because when it comes to great endings in Pittsburgh Steelers playoff history, there are plenty to chronicle. Santonio Holmes, his catch at the end of the Super Bowl, the Immaculate Reception, the comeback against the Browns at Heinz Field, Jim Harbaugh's near Hail Mary in the 95 AFC Championship game, the win against the Colts. That's just to name a few. But in terms of extended drama and accumulation of highlight plays, I can't come up with a game that equals what we saw Sunday night in the AFC Divisional Round between KC and the Bills. I, I can't come up with one. The last two minutes in overtime of the Chiefs' victory, 42-36, felt more like the last two minutes of a top-level Elite Eight March Madness college basketball shootout than it did an NFL game. Nothing but score after score after score in a compressed amount of time to decide regulation and eventually overtime as well. The lead changed hands three times in the final two minutes of regulation and ended with a tie. In the last two minutes of regulation and overtime, there were 31 points scored. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, 10 of 13 for 188 yards and two touchdowns in the last two minutes of regulation and overtime alone. From the 11:28 mark of the fourth quarter through the end of the game, there were six straight scoring drives featuring 350 yards of offense on 43 plays, and the teams averaged 12.8 yards per play the last four scoring drives. Mahomes and Josh Allen were both spectacular the entire game. Allen had a passer rating of 136, while Mahomes came in at 123.1. 
They combined to go 60 of 82 for 707 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. They only took two sacks apiece despite needing to escape the pocket on multiple occasions, combining for 137 yards rushing. When we talk about the difference between elite quarterback play and what the Steelers have produced much of the last three years, plus what they are likely to unfurl next season with either Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins at the helm, that's the chasm they need to cross. And they're just not going to do that with Haskins or Rudolph. And they're not going to do it by going on the cheap, by getting a mid-range or lower-level veteran quarterback to join the team. Like, for instance, I got an email from somebody saying, well, why don't they go out and get Marcus Mariota? Why? Because they've got the eighth-most cap space in football, and Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers might be available. Like, when did Pittsburgh get this whipped puppy syndrome when it comes to the quarterback position? Like, we don't deserve to have a good quarterback unless they fall in our lap in the real high end of the draft. And, and to a certain extent, Roethlisberger fell in our laps because two other guys went before him. It's like, we can only have a good quarterback if we suck for so long and Terry Bradshaw's there, or we get Ben after two other guys went in the top 10. You know, this mentality of they can't be aggressive on the quarterback market, I don't understand. You know, the Aaron Rodgers thing to me is just like pound your head against the wall frustrating because whenever the topic of what the Steelers might do beyond just going with Haskins or Rudolph, all you hear is Ryan Fitzpatrick, Marcus Mariota. How about Jimmy G? He beat Aaron Rodgers, you know. Maybe they can get Mitch Trubisky. Why do they have to go down that path? Like I said, they never had this much room to play with when it comes to cap room. And they have a need at quarterback. Veteran quarterbacks who are high-level players change teams all the time. Why can't the Steelers, now that they're in a position cap-wise and roster-wise to make this happen, be on the receiving end of that? It happened with Manning. It happened with Brady. Why can't it happen with Aaron Rodgers, too? Matthew Stafford's playing in a championship game this weekend. You know, this belief that the Steelers have to do it the old-fashioned way is just so old-fashioned. You know, it's 2022 now. This is a common occurrence to see quarterbacks of a top-name stature go from Team X to Team Y. Carson Wentz, sometimes it doesn't always work out, but... Brady and Manning aren't the only guys. You see quarterbacks move teams now, and the Steelers are in need. We don't have to go through a long hunt and process to replace Roethlisberger just because it took us a long time to do it to get to Roethlisberger from Terry Bradshaw. And there's almost this predisposed notion from Steelers fans that they can't be in the conversation for Russell Wilson or Carr or Rodgers because that's just not how the Steelers do business. Well, how the Steelers do business has gotten them, what, nine seasons of the last 11 without a playoff win and three whole playoff victories in the last 11 years of Roethlisberger's time here. And while they did things quarterback-wise, how they approached business to that yielded them 
one trip to a Super Bowl in a quarter century with some pretty good teams. And the big thing missing was not having a good enough quarterback to at least win one and get to a few more more often. So why this reluctance to do it different this time when the money is available and their quarterbacks that are on the market are available to come to the Steelers and make them better now? Because whether it's Wilson Carr, Garoppolo even, although I'm not as wild about him, or especially Rodgers, those guys would make the Steelers better now. And there's also this corresponding belief that people seem to have of, well, we're so far away that Aaron Rodgers couldn't make us better. What, what are you kidding? Look at what Rodgers really had. Like, look at what he had. Was his line better? Yes. But it wasn't the 95 Cowboys, especially without Bakhtiari. I mean, look at what happened against the Niners in the playoffs, for crying out loud. Rodgers' mobility and veteran savvy made that line look a lot better than what it was. And if he goes to Pittsburgh, then he's looking at Pat Fryermuth, Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, and Chase Claypool. That might be better than some of the weapons that he had in Green Bay, aside from Devontae Adams. If Devontae Adams doesn't stay in Green Bay or go wherever Rodgers decides to go. So look, I, I know it's unlikely. I know that the Steelers, despite what the gambling odds say, are probably not going to be the team that gets Rodgers because I think the fans are right in what will happen, that the Steelers won't make a play for Rodgers because they just don't do it that way. But they could, and I think they should, because this is a nine-win team this year, and for as faulty as it was in the AFC, I think they could get back to the playoffs again with Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Derek Carr. I don't think they get there with Haskins or Rudolph, though. And it's funny to me that the same people who seem to say that there's no reason for one of those quarterbacks to want to come to Pittsburgh if they're going to engineer their own way out of where they're playing right now, there's no reason for them to come here are also the ones that are saying, well, you know, just a few tweaks, they'll build the nest around Haskins and Rudolph. Like, Rudolph's got one more year in his contract. Like, you really think they can rebuild the offensive line and the defensive line to make things at the level where Mason Rudolph can succeed to the degree that, like, Neil O'Donnell did or that Tommy Maddox did or that Cordell did in, in one year? You think that's possible? Or people seem to think that they could rebuild everything around the quarterback to the degree that Rudolph or Haskins would be as successful as Carr, Wilson, or Rodgers if they came here. And that's just ridiculous. That's asinine. That's not even close to being the case. And it's funny, like, all I hear from Steelers fans now is, well, let's give Mason a chance. What, what are you kidding me? Let's give Mason a chance. Like, when I suggested in September that people were being too dismissive of Rudolph and saying, well, they got to go with Dwayne Haskins, I was laughed at. I was mocked. <laughs> Mason Rudolph had his chance. He lost it to Duck. He lost his job to a Duck caller. Give Dwayne Haskins a second opportunity. Let's see what he can do. And I said, well, if you're allowing Dwayne Haskins the opportunity to improve, why don't you give Mason Rudolph that chance? Now that a lot of those same people are saying, 
well, you know, if he's got a full-time starting job and he doesn't have to worry about Roethlisberger and maybe the Matt Canada offense really is for him. And you're hearing all this rationalization because you're afraid to get in the Aaron Rodgers market. And that's what this is all about. Really, this the, the, the fear of the conversation about Rodgers and Wilson and Carr is about being let down. That's what this is. This is like the after effects. This is like being spurned uh, 10 years after Yager watch. Honestly, it's the, it's the whipped puppy syndrome that I was talking about before. You touch the hot frying pan before and your hand is still burned. Because you looked at the, the Yager thing in 2011 and said, that's not happening. Yager's not coming back here. And then a week went by. Then another week went by. Then like a month went by and, wait a minute, they, they might actually get Yarmir Yager. Yager might come back. And then he was a flyer. And that's kind of where I think Steelers fans are right now on the quarterback thing. If you don't want to say it's about Rodgers, fine, but the quarterback thing. They don't want to see the Steelers involved and get their excitement level up over maybe the 9-7-1 team can be an 11-12 or 12 win team if Carl Wilson or Rodgers is a quarterback. They don't want to let their heads go there. So... They'll just live in the present as they know it right now, which is, well, it's going to be Mason or Haskins, and they're going to have to rebuild for a while. And they just don't want to be let down. Because, obviously, if the Packers ask for an exorbitant amount of draft picks, you don't give it up like that. You don't give them that many picks. If the Broncos are ahead of the Steelers in the bidding for Aaron Rodgers, you don't have to outbid the Broncos. If Derek Carr doesn't want to come here for a contract in sort of a trade-and-sign kind of deal, you don't have to give up a first for him. Like, you know, so like I'm just saying explore, probe, consider, think about things outside of the box, <gasps> gasp, from the Steeler way when it comes to the quarterback. Because even the biggest Steeler fan, even the Steeler fan who never wants to find fault with the team, has to admit there was a pretty good gap there between Bradshaw and Roethlisberger and how they got those two players. They got them by stinking for a couple decades before they got Bradshaw and stinking in 2003 before they got Roethlisberger. If they don't want to go down that path, then it's hard to find a quarterback. And the Steelers never really did a good enough job of finding the complementary quarterback to those other really good teams that they had. And there were a few of them, especially in the 90s and the early 2000s before Ben came along. So, like, why do you want to do that again when the option is there to potentially be creative? You don't have to give away three ones to get Aaron Rodgers. And if you do, don't do it. And if, you know, Russell Wilson or Derek Carr won't sign a new deal to the team that they get traded to in advance of the deal, then don't do the deal. And, and then if you have to sign a retread to be an emergency for Haskins and Rudolph, fine, so be it. Or if you want to wait until the draft and see if you get Kenny Pickett, fine, so be it. But I don't think you take yourself out of the quarterback derbies that will be taking place this offseason just cuz. And I think that's where the antiquated 
old-fashioned Steeler fan mindset is on all of this. But that was sort of getting off on a rant. One, one quick thing to go back to the whole overtime conversation because that is where we were going next. Um, I needed it, like I said, for the Chiefs to cover, and, and I do wonder how much gambling comes into play when they're talking about what to do with overtime. I don't see what happened in OT as a downside to the game. I know in the eyes of many, the fact that the Bills didn't possess the ball in overtime is a problem. The Chiefs tried to change them after a similar scenario happened to them in a playoff loss to New England back in 2019. Also, I have a jaundiced view when players complain about the overtime rule, as we've seen a lot of on Twitter since the end of that game, seeing as there is always static and pushback from the NFLPA about extending games too long due to player safety concerns. Uh, As I talked about last week, I think the way for the NFL to go might be to modify the college format of overtime, alternate series for series until a winner is established, but start at midfield or the opposing 40-yard line in an effort to make field goals more difficult for experienced NFL kickers or simply eliminate the field goal as an option and make it touchdowns or bust from the opposition's 25-yard line. That would also eliminate the potential of annoying ties in the regular season, although as we recently learned in Pittsburgh, the prospect of a tie can occasionally be very suspenseful as well, right? Boy, the Raiders and Chargers sure taught us that. But, you know, the way things went in overtime, I'm all right with it. Um, You know, I I wouldn't mind playing a full quarter, although I think that could be redundant if you end up forcing another tie at the end of the full quarter, so I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm okay with giving the other team a possession, but then understand you will have to keep moving forward, and at that point, maybe there's just three possessions, and the team that got it first gets it third, and it's still not necessarily fair. It's not like innings in baseball. Uh, What I don't want is more complaining and whining, but I suppose anytime there's a loss in a big game like this, the losing team, the losing city will find a reason to whine. Now, uh, as far as me whining... Yes, I am whining a little bit about what happened in the middle two games last weekend. I got the first one and the last one right, the two AFC games. Uh, I've been calling the Bengals uh, the whole time going into the playoffs. I thought they'd be the A. I thought they'd get to the AFC Championship, which they have. But I think the Chiefs will beat them. I thought the Chiefs would beat them coming in. Uh, this was how I saw the AFC lining up. My preseason pick was. Bills, Chiefs, we saw the game and how it played out. I wish that was the AFC Championship, but it's not. Based on how the bracketing was going to play out, I kind of felt like this is how it was going to be all along. Those two would see each other in a 2-3, and the Bengals would upset the Titans in a 1-versus-5, even though to me, excuse me, a 1-versus-4, even though to me, that wasn't an upset. I uh, liked the Bengals going into that game. It wasn't a shocker to me. Uh, to see them win outright, let alone cover. So I got that one right. In overtime, I got the Chiefs right. And the NFC ones I got wrong. And I don't feel great about this one. Like, I'm leaning towards taking the Rams straight. But I'm also considering taking San Francisco with the three and a half. I I might wait this one out to see where it goes and see if the point spread keeps going north. Because the more north it goes... The more inclined I am to go with San Francisco based on how they've handled the Rams recently, I think there's something to that, even though I do think the Rams are really hitting their top gear, maybe akin to what we saw the Bucs do 
a season ago. So the NFC game, admittedly, I don't have a real good feeling about. One thing I do have a good feeling about, back to the AFC side, we want to play some props. Uh, I really like receivers for the Bengals not named Jamar Chase. I think that was pretty clear what the Chiefs did. Now, maybe uh, the Chiefs see what happened to them and they go a different direction, or maybe they thought it was just one way to handle Buffalo, but to throw so much attention on Stephon Diggs and then have Gabriel Davis just go off in the manner that he did, if they're going to do the same thing to Jamar Chase, boy, Tyler Boyd and or T. Higgins could really have big days. I think Higgins is at like 69.5 and Tyler Boyd is at 38.5 in terms of yardage. Those might be good plays on the over there or to get those guys to score. Uh, I like those props. Those are a couple that I would look at. And I'm also kind of leaning towards the over right now in that game. I think we could see a mini version of what we saw in the Buffalo-Kansas City game. Uh, I keep saying and have said over and over again that I look at these Cincinnati Bengals and I see a team that's similar to the one that we saw in Jacksonville back in 2017, the team that beat the Steelers, won two games, got to the AFC Championship game. Everybody said, where do these guys come from? They're brash. They don't care. They're not nervous. They seem to seize the moment. And, uh, well, they couldn't get it done against the Patriots. And I think the song stops here for the Bengals, too, in a similar fashion. This team, though, has a quarterback. That team had Blake Bortles. Um, he was pretty good in the playoffs, but not good enough. And I think that's where the similarities continue uh, just one step too far for the Bengals to get to the Super Bowl but boy would it be fitting if they get there and it's the Niners again right so that's a distinct possibility all right when we come back we're going to talk some hockey with Seth Rorba he is our beat writer at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review Seth covers the pens for Trib Live we'll talk about the Jeff Carter extension and we'll look at the game coming up against the Kraken as the Penguins attempt to go to, let's see now, what would that be? 18 of 20. They could beat the Kraken in seven in a row. We'll talk about the Philadelphia Flyers losing 13 in a row. That's next here on the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. BetRivers.com. Download the app today. Tim Benz, Pittsburgh CityCast. Okay, uh, let's get to some hockey as the Penguins get set to take on the Seattle Kraken. Penguins at minus one and a half in the puck line. Uh, that's a minus 129 bet right now. Straight up, it's at minus 335. I think you're playing with safe money, though, there. Uh, the over-under at six and a half. Not sure if the Penguins can drag that one all by themselves, but the Kraken with the Second lowest point total in the Western Conference. The Pens just beat the team with the worst record in the Western Conference. The Coyotes, 24 points. Kraken at 30 points. Um, you know, like I said, they probably won't score enough against the Pens to have that over-under hit. I would kind of like the under there. Uh, but I also see the Penguins getting a victory here. Puck line, money line, however you want to play it. By the way, Pens now at only plus 200 to win the Metro. Behind the Carolina Hurricanes, who are at plus 100. The division leaders, the Rangers, a step back at plus 375. 
I'm interested to see what happens with the Capitals at plus 900 if they get Marc-Andre Fleury. What that does to the odds, then a huge drop is one would expect based on the standings with the Islanders next at plus 20,000. Yeah, so um, just look at those top four, right? Penn's at plus 800 to win the Eastern Conference. You know, that hasn't moved as much as I expected with this ridiculous hot streak the Penguins are on. I guess people are just looking at what they've done or what they haven't done in the postseason, perhaps rightfully so, and the question's around Jari. Two Florida teams, plus 375 for the Lightning and the Panthers to win the East. I would lean towards the Lightning. The value continues to rise with the Hurricanes at plus 400. Boy, people just love betting on the Bruins, I guess. Plus 750. I'm not a buyer there. And I'm a little surprised there's not more money coming in. On the Rangers with their optimistic start. As you look at the Metropolitan Division, they are out in front with 60 points but let's talk some hockey right now with Seth Rorba our Trib Live beat writer as the Pens get ready to take on the Kraken on Thursday night deep into a Penguins win streak six games 17 of 19 we'll get to that in just a second but the big news on Wednesday Jeff Carter signing a two-year extension and Seth are you surprised at all about that um Maybe a little bit, just because, you know, they obviously have some bigger fish to fry there. Uh, tomorrow, Mike Langism, I believe that is, uh, with with regards to Crystal Tang, Evgeny Malkin, arguably even Brian Rust. But, um, no, they're clearly happy with Jeff Carter. Jeff Carter's clearly happy with the situation here. Um, I want to say maybe about two weeks ago, he was even speaking uh, with media in Los Angeles when the Penguins were out on the road trip out there, that uh, he thought, yeah, he'd be ending his career in Los Angeles. He kind of was living the life out there, was kind of a franchise icon, help, having helped the Kings win two Stanley Cup titles. And, uh, he seemed resigned to kind of living out his NHL life uh, out in Southern California. Well, he got traded to Pittsburgh, and it's kind of provided him uh, kind of a, a, something of a rejuvenation here. He's clearly clearly been one of this team's more important players here in the 50 or so games he's played for the team ever since that trade. And um, he's really helped them out here in the, this season alone, just in terms of helping weather the storm without Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Uh, while they were dealing uh, with the recovery of their offseason surgeries in the early stages of the season. So, um, no, Jeff Carter seems he's pretty happy here. He seems like he's uh, really appreciates the the kind of second life he's gotten here in Pittsburgh. And uh, the Penguins clearly uh, see a lot of value in him. At the very least, they see $3.125 million worth of value in him uh, for the cap hit of this contract extension. So, uh, no, it seems like a pretty good offer for all parties all around. Um, It maybe clouds the situation a little bit more with guards to Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin moving forward. But um, no, I, I don't see this as anything other than a positive for the Penguins and Jeff Carter. Well, that's where I was going with the thought next, Seth, when you said there are bigger fish to fry. And I think the Langism was we've seen this fish before, right? <laughs> I got that wrong. I know that. <laughs> I think we're conflating our fish analogies. <laughs> but I, I think... Where I want to go with the conversation is what does this mean in terms of that big fish who is Evgeny Malkin? Is this essentially a more pragmatic buffer just to get Carter done while they can, perhaps with the knowledge or the thinking that they might not be able to or flat out won't be able to get anything done with Gino? It's possible. Um, and also, too, I mean, you know, you know, for all the thought that, okay, you know, if Chris Letang and, you know, Getting Malkin leave next year, that the Penguins are all of a sudden in a rebuild. That's not the case. I mean, they're still going to be a, a competitive hockey team that still looks at itself as a Stanley Cup contender, and uh, Jeff Carter is going to be a part of that. So, um, you know, regardless of if getting Malkin's you know here or not moving forward next year, 
um, you know, they're still going to be, you know, at least in their eyes, you know, competing for that big prize there. And um, they're not going to be rebuilding. You're not going to see a bunch of guys from Wilkes-Barre Scranton all of a sudden in the lineup next year and them trying to, you know, rebuild through the draft again. I mean, they're still going to be a competitive team, or at least they, they plan to be. So um, as far as, you know, with Tang and Malkin, though, I mean, I'll, I'll mix them in both here. I know your question is maybe specifically aimed at Malkin, but um, just in terms of the salary cap hit, I mean, those two guys just can't come back at the same salaries that they're making right now. And I'm not quite sure if Jeff Carter's uh, new contract impacts that a great deal. It certainly maybe doesn't uh, help the likelihood of, of, of Malkin or, or mm-hmm. Latang coming back at a similar salary. But um, it, it's very clear that neither one of those two players can come back at that same salary. They would have to take a, a pay cut. If they're willing to do that, that remains to be seen. I'm willing to maybe bet if Kenny Malkin's maybe a little bit more willing to do that than, say, Chris Latang is. But um, – uh, but no, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a viable question. It does maybe provide a little bit of a buffer if, in the event that Evgeny Malkin is not available next season or not here next season. I mean, we saw what Jeff Carter can do with Evgeny Malkin absent for the first, you know, two, three months of the season this year. So, uh, but no, I, I, I think it's very clear. Uh, and it's, you know, is even was before Jeff Carter signed his contract here that um, if Evgeny Malkin or Crystal Tang are going to be remain Pittsburgh Penguins beyond the season, it's going to have to come at a, significant pay cut compared to what they've been making here for the last handful of years. Seth Rorba with us, Trib Live Penguins beat writer here on the Breakfast of Ben's podcast. In a weird way, this doesn't sound like something I thought I would say, but I feel like Latang might actually be the safer investment if they were to keep just one of them because of his physical conditioning, A, and B, the need to have defensemen, even those late in their career, especially ones that can still move the puck and do the things offensively that he can. Uh, he definitely would be the safer one, uh, but I would also argue he'd probably be the more expensive one uh, right. by a lot. Um, yeah. um, even if the NHL is kind of still going through some of the issues right now with COVID and you know the, the ramification it has on the overall league business and what that means for the salary cap, i.e. meaning the cap's going to stay flat here most likely. Um, you know, the, Those higher-end players tend to be the ones that they don't tend to really get impacted by that too much. I mean, you're going to see a lot of like the guys on the lower end, the guys making league minimum that maybe get impacted by that a little bit more. So um, Chris Latang is still going to have no shortage, shortage of suitors uh, coming up, uh, willing to pay much more uh, most likely than the, the 7.25 that he's making right now or the cap that he has right now. So um, I, I would imagine he's still open to maybe come back to Pittsburgh, uh, maybe reduced rate, but he's a, he's a fairly, you know, business savvy uh, person. He is the the Penguins, uh, you know, uh, player representative to the NHLPA for a reason. So, um, I mean, there's other things you have to kind of consider. Like, I know a lot of people are saying, "Oh, he might go to Montreal." Well, if you go to Montreal, you're paying 49% on the taxes on your salary there. So, you know, you, you know, you, you kind of have to take in consideration things like that. Whereas, I think in Pittsburgh, it's it's much lower. I, I don't know what the number is, but no, I wouldn't say um, much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and your uh, streets don't get plowed. Maybe they plow the streets in Montreal. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I mean, yes, Crystal Tang is a safer option. Probably the option they probably would need much more, uh, just in terms of how their their roster is made up here, uh, moving forward. But, um, uh, but again. It, it, it depends on what Crystal Tank values the most. Does he just value pure money? Does he value a comfortable situation? Uh, I think a lot of does he value the taxes? Um, uh, a lot of those things have to come into play for here. But um, I have to imagine out of those two options, there Crystal Tank's probably going to command uh, more than Evgeny Malkin. Six wins in a row for the Penguins. How have they looked to you pre-Malkin with the 
greater swath of games where they've now won 17 of 19. How do they look to you in the first part of that stretch, and how have they looked to you since Gino came back? Um, I mean, I think for all overall throughout this whole sequence, they've looked fairly imperfect. And and, and I'm not saying that to, to, to put down anyone or anything like that, but um, even in this you know segmented here with the the six games here, I mean, they've had to come back from deficits. They've uh, had plenty of turnovers that have led to you know offense for the opposition. Uh, um, they've had a lot of mistakes, but they keep on winning. They keep finding ways to win. You know, that, that Winnipeg Jets game on Sunday, I mean, they, it really was just a nine-second window of kind of mental miscues by the Jets that really allowed the Penguins to come back and ultimately win that game in a shootout. So um, it, for me, I, I, I think the, the stabilizing factor through all that is Tristan Jari. I mean, he's been named an all-star, and I think we're seeing why. Um, when your goaltender's playing the way he is, that can eliminate a lot of mistakes uh, or make up ground for a lot of mistakes. So... Um, but as far as Evgeny Malkin and, and his play coming back, I mean, I, I did a report card after the Winnipeg game. That was, that was game 41 of the season, midway point of the season, and um, I gave him a C. I mean, he's been getting a point per game. He's been productive. He's been contributing to the offense here. But um, there's still, you know, there, there's some rink rust. And he's been off his skates for seven months. Uh, he's 34 years old, coming off a major knee surgery here. Um, there's going to be some miscues there. You know, frankly, there were miscues there even beforehand, but um i gave him a c I, I think he's still very much a work in progress we saw Sidney crosby kind of work through some rink rust after his ailment you know that was conflated by by his covid diagnosis but um I, again i think we're seeing some just you know rust or just you know just a you know, lack of playing time really kind of creeping up and again he's mulkin's game here he's still kind of getting his feet underneath him but um i, I you know again i'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt i think he's earned that over the 15 years or wherever it's been he's been here so um, he gets a few more games under his belt here. He gets a little bit more used to, you know, playing again with Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, it looks like he's playing with Danton Heinen here for the time being on the opposite wing. Get a little bit more comfortable with his linemates here, and I, I, I would imagine we'll probably see a much more complete player. But um, again, I think so far, you know, through the seven games or eight games, wherever it's been here for him, uh, I would give him a C just based on you know the, the production as well as some of the miscues. The Kraken aren't going to be the team to come to Pittsburgh in their first trip here and stop this streak, are they? <laughs> you would think not, especially given the something the Penguins put on them back in December. Uh, um, and just given their general malaise, I mean, they, they very much look like an expansion team, uh, a traditional expansion team, not the Vegas Golden Knights from a couple of years ago. But, um, man, it just it, it's just not a good team. And, you know, that's probably my design, I think the general managers uh, throughout the incumbent NHL general managers this time around with the expansion draft kind of learned their lessons from a couple of years ago and kind of figured out how to manage their rosters a little bit better in terms of who they gave up, you know, who they allowed to go to Seattle there. So um, this isn't a good team. Uh, that said, I mean, it's, um, I, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised to say the Arizona Coyotes had ended the streak on, on, you know, the other night, uh, uh, they look pretty bad. Uh, even the Columbus Blue Jackets they didn't look very good. Both, you know, both those teams each had leads on the, on the Penguins here before they kind of kicked it in the gear here. So, um, like I said earlier, the Penguins haven't played well despite you know all these wins. It sounds like an odd thing to say, but um, I wouldn't put money on the Seattle kind of getting you know, being the one to break the streak. But I wouldn't be surprised either, just uh, given just how imperfect the Penguins have been as of late. And this seems like an opponent that. Uh, um, I don't want to say they underestimate, but they just kind of put, well, could potentially play down to and just, you know, a few bounces here and there might uh, might do them in. Could Marc-Andre Fleury wind up with the Capitals? And how would that um, go over? 
I mean, it's a possibility. Uh, I, I don't know what his contract status is in terms of um, would he accept a trade or anything like that. I'd have to look that out there. I, I don't know if he has like contract control or anything like that. And uh, would he presumably block a trade to, to Washington? I, I still think it's maybe a bit of a long shot. Um, I, I again, Washington, you know, you know, they, they don't exactly have, you know, they're not as stout in that as they used to be. I mean, Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanasek, I mean, they're, they're fine goaltenders, but I don't know that they've uh, fully lived up to their potential just yet. You know, Marc-Andre Fleury's actually played pretty pretty sturdy in a sturdy fashion for Chicago, a bad Chicago team. So I, I don't know if he would turn down an opportunity to go go there and, um, uh, and you know, and you know, potentially win a Stanley Cup or you know, be a Stanley Cup contender, I guess. But just looking it up now, actually, he has a limited no movement clause in his contract where he can submit it to ten teams. So I don't know if the Washington Capitals are on there. I don't know if you know, just uh, um, you know, that sense of rivalry would prevent him from wanting to go there. But he's a competitor. He's at the end of his career, more or less. Uh, if he were to be presented with an opportunity to go to the Washington Capitals and have a legitimate opportunity to. Um, make another Stanley Cup run. I have a hard time seeing him say no on that basis, but um, it, it would be very odd to, to put a mile to see him in the, the red, blue, and white there. What's going to happen first? The Pens are going to lose or the Flyers are going to win? <laughs> Did the Flyers win uh, on uh, I, Tuesday? I missed that. or Maybe I'm thinking things. Um, no, they're they're uh, up to 13 games now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, wow, that looks ugly there. Um well, uh, I don't know who's uh, playing more fittingly towards uh, towards that. I mean, like I said, the Penguins have been imperfect, but the Flyers have almost been perfect in how bad they've been. Yeah, um, right, exactly. I mean, it's just a flawed team. Uh, it's it's flawed in how it's been constructed, at least you know since um, the current management's been there. Um, they they obviously made the coaching change you know fairly early in the season when they promoted former Penguin assistant Mike Yoda there, but. Um, that seems like a much bigger problem there uh, than than any one coach, particularly Mike Yo, can maybe kind of you know impact. So um, I, again, I I, I I I I'm not terribly heartbroken over seeing the Flyers in this malaise <laughs> here, but um, I would imagine the Penguins probably have a particularly since they're playing the Seattle Kraken. I have a pretty good feeling that at least for one game, the Penguins will will have, be the benefactor or be the better team, I guess, in terms of trying to maintain the streak. Boy, Matt Murray was ticked at that goaltender from Buffalo, huh? Yeah, yeah. You don't see him speak out too often on things like that or really anything. Really, well, let, let me let me set the stage. Uh, it's Drake Batherson from Ottawa who got wiped out by Aaron Dell, the goalie from Buffalo. Play was going behind the net. The goalie was coming out to play it, decided not to play it, left it for his defenseman. Batherson was coming, pursuing the defenseman, and essentially the goalie set a pick with his elbow and wiped out the guy into the boards. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would say Aaron Dell probably you know took full advantage of um, the fact that generally goal t- you know goaltenders you know you're not supposed to touch them, and you know players will kind of skate around them differently, obviously because you don't want to make contact with them and injure them and get a penalty or anything like that. Well, I thought Aaron Dell really kind of took advantage of that uh, sense of security, if you will, and and, and really bladed into Drake Batherson. And Aaron Dell has a bit of a history. There was a play a couple years ago. Uh, when he was with San Jose, where he did something similar to Mark Stone, the all-star forward for Vegas. So um, he almost there's almost kind of like a little bit of a Billy Smith, Ron Hextall, Tom Barassa to him, maybe, I guess. But um, no, he, he really, you know, did some damage there to Drake Batherson. And actually, He's Drake hurt. Batherson was going to be... 
yeah, he was going to go to the All-Star game, and they announced today he can't go because of the injury. And um, I, I think the Brady Kachuk, the, the captain there in Ottawa, is going in his place. But, yeah, I mean, that, that was a dangerous play. Um, I thought Aaron Dell really kind of took full advantage of some of that security that goaltenders are afforded there. And, um, you know, he had the hearing. I don't know if that's been announced yet, if he's uh, been suspended or anything like that. But, um, you know, to borrow the old marketing line, dude, you're getting a suspension. <laughs> So tomorrow, when you do the game story, is it Kraken is or Kraken are? Is this sort of like a lightning? You just write it like you're writing a Tampa Bay lightning game story? This yeah. Is kind of, it's kind I, of annoying I, to talk about them out loud, is it not? I, I believe our style is uh, when you're dealing with a collective like that, like the Minnesota Wild or the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Vegas, you, you treat them as a plural. So, ah, uh, so the Kraken yeah, are, so, as if there are multiple yeah, so, Kraken. Yes. Yeah, so, um I don't think there's Krakens or Wilds or, or what have you, but uh, for our style, I believe we use the uh, uh, the plurals there, plural verbs and uh, the, the the appropriate uh, pronouns and everything like that there. So um, it's uh, it's something that always kind of you know bothers me just in general, uh, and that's not just with hockey. But you're talking about the Stanford Cardinal or the uh, I'm sure there's some maybe the Orlando Magic, whoever. So uh, uh, I'm very much a pro pro plural if I can try not to. <laughs> mumble that out too much did you ever see kraken tentacles of the deep i cannot say i have <laughs> how about the original clash of the titans with the kraken did you see that i've maybe seen clips of it when uh, some of that old claymation yes. cgi back in the day really bad uh, and cheesy yes absolutely yeah i mean it's quality cgi for 19 whatever but uh it does not age well let's put it that way seth thanks we'll see you at the rink anytime tim all right, so my thanks to Seth for joining us here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Tim Benz back with you. Coming up, Mike Pursuta. We'll talk NFL playoffs with him. We'll also talk some college basketball, I'm sure. Although, wow, I don't know how much college basketball I want to talk after Syracuse lost to Pitt. I was at the Pete. What a depressing scene that building is, and it was even more depressing for me and the Syracuse faithful that made up about half the fans. And that's how few people were in the building but the basketball program has fallen on hard times, the likes of which I haven't seen. A lot of smart money should go against Syracuse going down the stretch of this regular season. Uh, they're a tough team to figure out in terms of over-unders, though, because their defense is so bad. The zone is not what it used to be. that a lot, They allow a lot of points. And if their shooting is off as it was against Duke, as it was against the Pitt Panthers, um, they're not going to get you many overs. So it's, it's, it's a tough putt to play the over-under line with Syracuse. I'd stay away from the over-under in any Syracuse game, but you can bet against them and make some cash. I mean, I haven't seen a Syracuse team this hopeless in terms of a run to the postseason since, I don't know, maybe the year after I graduated, which was when they made the Final Four in 1996, uh, that next year when John Wallace left, and I think Lazarus Sims had left by that point. They, they just didn't have much in the pipeline, they didn't have much left from the team that got to the Final Four. So uh, they were an NIT team, and just there wasn't much hope all year. They got the great run, got to the final. That was fantastic, and you know NIT was next. This team is even worse than that, and uh, I don't even know if they'll qualify for any postseason. But at any rate, we will talk some college basketball too, and then Matt Williamson will look at the AFC and NFC championship games on Friday. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.